Let the games begin. Carnage. Carnage. Hello, hello, hello. This is Hassan Khan, of course, on the Carnage podcast. And how on earth are you doing? Oops, it's been a while again. Hey, but you know what? We all have a life and things happen. And if I start every podcast by apologizing, um, well, Hassan, you almost every time you do. Yeah, it's a terrible habit, to be honest, apologizing. Um, well, I shall not apologize. I'll tell you what. Today's podcast is going to be an exciting one. It's going to be thrilling and it's also going to allow me to return back to this other strand that we focus on, which is visiting different countries and getting different cultures, different voices, different accents across to you. Today, we're going to be crossing over to Syria, Turkey, Norway within one interview yep and this person and when i say she's inspirational oh my word she really is if everything she says on this interview is true then bloody hell are you in for a ride now this interview is from december 2021 so i know there's been some progress in her life and congratulations to her and i'm sure we'll have her back on but the reason i wanted to reflect on this and play this to you because i think this is going to make you sit up and realize that the world ticks the world goes on because of some people like Mariam Tatuzi who well she's a singer a podcaster a youtuber it's probably completed university in it by now if she hasn't she's at university she was working when we did this interview oh I don't know she can speak three languages she's an activist there are so many things that girl does that are honestly probably didn't cover it in this introduction uh in our interview but hey you know what but i think less of my ramblings uh, hold on hassan can you please just tell everyone when you're gonna do your next podcast and are you gonna start the next episode by going, oh i'm so sorry we're so late again and we haven't recorded an episode for a while well not really to be honest as i said there's so much going on in my life um so and i always said this at the very beginning if people want to jump on help me with editing producing uh interviewing then please do jump on the carnage podcast listen enough of that background hassan khan talking away at me without further ado as the kids say why don't we dive straight into it and go over to mariam tatuzi who joins me live from Norway. How are you, Mariam? Hi, Hassan. How are you? I have to say thanks for this like really, really nice introduction. I'm not sure I deserve that, but thanks anyway. You definitely deserve it because you are one of the things you are is a podcaster. So you're, you're going to put me to shame. Listen, Mariam, you are living in Norway. That's not where you're originally from. Mm. I got you on the show because you have a story to tell. So why don't we start from the beginning? You're visually impaired or blind or whatever term that you're comfortable in using. Tell me a little bit about your sight loss journey. Okay, so yeah, I mean, I agree there are many terms to, to use here, but I would say I'm visually impaired because I do see a little bit and I've been actually born with it. So I didn't lose my sight or anything but like some people did. I, I was just born with it. Um, so I kind of just lived with it uh, all my life. 
So tell us where you were born, because obviously you're not originally Norwegian. That's true. Well, I'm from Syria, but uh, I've been living in Norway for a while now. It's been six years. And <laughs> I, I always say that I feel like a Norwegian at heart. Tell me about Syria. So um, when you were growing up, was there a war? What was the atmosphere like? What was the country like to live in? No, there wasn't a war to begin with, because I left Syria when I was 13. And at least in my first 10 years of life, it was kind of calm. If I would think about it kind of vaguely, like there was no protest or anything. It all started in 2011. I don't know. I wouldn't say it's war, really. I mean, people use different terms for this. Uh, some people say it's a civil war and some people say it's like war. Some people say it's a revolution, especially we who kind of believe in, in that cause and believe in what's happening. So for me and many Syrians, it's, it's a revolution. It's not a war. So it's a revolution and you were living through the revolution as a visually impaired uh, child. How different was it? to living with a visual impairment was it any different to say your brothers and sisters well yes i would say it was different like if we are thinking for example about the revolution i would say as a as visually impaired it was a little bit more difficult to actually participate and do something uh, especially on the field i was too young to do that but i'm thinking of other visually impaired or blind people it wasn't very easy to go to protests for example or like uh, march in the streets uh, like like others so that was very tricky. Uh, so you kind of had to find other meaningful things to do. And uh, especially that Syria, it's less developed, I would say, than Europe when it comes to mobility and such for the blind and visually impaired. So it wasn't really easy to get around anyway. And uh, then with the extra security measures and all the things that come with it, it was even more difficult for like daily life. So with all these issues, were you studying? Were you at school? Yes, I was. I was in eighth grade, ninth grade, actually. But then uh, my family and I, we left Syria in 2013 and I couldn't uh, continue the ninth grade. I had to leave. Right. But talk to me about the schools. Uh, how different is it to Europe and, and how different was it for you being visually impaired in a school in Syria? Because I want you to educate me and the listeners who, who may not have a clue, you know, us living in the West. It was totally different because uh, in Syria, visually impaired and blind people, we, we used to go to this special school uh, for the blind and visually impaired. So it was from the first to 12th grade. And I mean, it's definitely positive sometimes, but it's also a little bit tricky, I would say, because like when you actually go out and try to be with other people in society, they'd be like really surprised, like, oh do you kind of do anything in life and then they would be like really shocked that you actually go to school because they don't see you anywhere uh so that's really tricky and uh but of course i didn't yet talked about how kind of difficult it was at the school like we didn't really have much access to braille books and braille is um the reading and writing system for blind and visually impaired people so we didn't have books we didn't have things to write on so that was really tricky um how, how did you cope you're making it sound light-hearted but how did you actually cope and how did it affect you mentally it was actually very difficult because there's no way actually around it like you don't have the books and then you really kind of either have to depend on someone else i know some people who uh, kind of offered recording services so then you give them the book and they would read it for you and record it and then we have to hear but like what if your main method of learning is by reading and many people also offer these services but they're not really good at it 
So they would kind of read the academic terms in like a totally different way. And then you'd be like, what does this mean exactly? For example, if you want to take notes, um, mm. there's really no way around it. You either have to record the, the whole class and then you kind of have all the nonsense and the small talk that is actually happening, plus the lecture. Or you just have to kind of be like super, super active and try to remember everything, which is basically not possible. And Mariam, excuse my ignorance, but were you studying in Arabic or or, yeah. or English? Uh, mainly in Arabic. Uh, we did have English as a second language, but uh, I <laughs> I remember in ninth grade we were still still learning like um, like uh, yeah simple present and all these like kind of simple stuff. Uh, we also had French as a third language, uh, but I don't remember anything of it. Okay, and you didn't go from Syria to Norway, did you? No, I didn't. Uh, so we moved from Syria to Turkey, uh, which is the route that many Syrians have taken. Uh, so we lived there for a couple of years where I didn't do much. Actually, I couldn't go to school because I didn't really speak Turkish that much. And they didn't offer any like Turkish courses. They were like, yeah, you could go to school, be with the other students, but you don't really get any help. So I went there for like a couple of weeks. I was like, what am I doing here? I'm not understanding anything. And Turkish people are not very good at English either. So it was really tricky. But uh, yeah, we lived there for a couple of years. Why Turkey? Syria has uh, borders with Turkey. So it was really Mm -hmm. easy to go there, at least easier than other countries. Um, The only three countries that Syrians were allowed to go to uh, without a visa were Jordan, Lebanon and Turkey. And I think we thought or like my my family thought that Turkey was the best of those three. Right. And and of course, you going from a school where you didn't have all the resources that we enjoy in Europe and the West to then going to Turkey, where it was from having a, a terrible resources to having no resources. Talk to me as honestly as you like. How were you emotionally? Were you struggling? Well, definitely. I mean, I wouldn't say it was easy, especially in the beginning, because I mean, I did have my friends in Syria and they were all together. Like, actually, it's it's very sad to think about. But everyone is like, before you leave, everyone's like, oh, it's so sad you're leaving. I wish you're staying. But then you leave and life goes on. You know, my friends would still send me pictures when they hang out and would still call me and be like, yeah, we're having fun. How are you? And I'm just in there in Turkey. And I don't know really anyone. We're yeah. like, yeah, how am I? <laughs> So you were isolated. Definitely, yeah. It was really tricky. And, you know, I was just like 13, 14. And this age, I think it's really important to actually be with people. And uh, mm. because it's it's now you're developing your personality and who you'll be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and just, just going back slightly, did you leave Syria because of the revolution and because of the, uh, not the trouble, but the, the, the difficult times that you were facing? Yes, because my school was really close to uh, a government building that was circuited several times uh, while I was at school. So my parents were like really worried about me. Um, And also it was not only me, it was my siblings and my my parents. My dad, he used to come back from work late in the evening. Mm. So we would always be worried. Like if he's like 10 minutes late, we'd be like, oh my God, what's happening? You know? Yeah. So it was really, really stressful. We were like, now we have to actually uh, 
you know go somewhere where you can at least have some peace of mind uh, oh my word that. and feel safe you know what what we yeah. all deserve safety Definitely. basic safety mm. you know being from pakistan and growing up there it, it's it's hard to explain even now to my friends and to other people what kind of culture it was and how um civil war whatever war it is how difficult it is to cope with and and sometimes we kind of sound blase or we say it with a smile on our faces like it doesn't affect us but of course it does doesn't it it does and you know it's really not easy to explain but uh, i would say and i'm really not trying to be dramatic now i don't say mm. this much or very often but uh, me and many Syrians that i know we still kind of have this kind of trauma afterwards like i still see kind of dreams about what could have happened in Syria like if if things went wrong or like sometimes I just see myself kind of back in Syria but although I'm supposed to be in Norway and I'm just like kind of freaking out like oh my god what am I doing here uh it's it's really emotionally stressful like even though you kind of go on your day and you don't really think about it but your subconscious is kind of still thinking about it and trying to process stuff I'm not copying Stephen Nolan he's a, he's a presenter here in the UK on BBC Radio 5 Live but but I'm going to ask this difficult question and we're not we don't want to get too political but who do you blame for the unrest and the revolution and the difficulties that Syria has faced over the years Well as a person who kind of believes in the cause of the revolution I would say it's definitely uh the the government uh, I mean in my opinion we don't really have a a good government and they could have done things differently but uh, yeah I, I don't want to be very political but uh, it, it's how it started at least but now there are so many branches and there are so many things that kind of went wrong and people are kind of divided so now I feel like I feel like we kind of lost the cause and people are really fighting for like a totally different story now it's very sad Do you mean people are just living to survive? There are many people who are living to survive especially who are still in Syria. Um I was talking to some friends who are like in Syria and I was kind of talking to them about the situation and they were like Maryam what are you talking about it's over. But we who are not in Syria we kind of still have that faith and like we want to do something. Yeah, it's different from person to a person and like different experiences. Some people are like really fed up and they just want to survive but uh, some people kind of believe in democracy and freedom and we really want to have that this is powerful stuff tell us a little bit about and before we move on to happier times what is syria like now have you been back you just said that your friends have said it's out of revolution but what is it actually like actually it's very difficult to answer i haven't been in syria since i left and now i don't have that much contact with people from syria because it's often very difficult to relate to each other now like i talk to people from there and i feel like we're in totally different worlds but um is that, I, is that sad does that make you sad it's it's very sad because like i remember uh, like i used to have a best friend there and we we mm. are friends on facebook but we're like mm. we never talk and i remember she called me a couple of months ago and yeah. we were talking i was like what do you talk about you know it was yeah. it was really because really you're in different awkward. worlds aren't you yeah like she would talk to me about people that I used to know and about places in Syria and then I would I, I want to talk to her about what I'm up to here but she wouldn't get it no it's really mm. difficult and and the thing is that someone who's come from abroad like me and 
they start to think that you've you've become a westernizer and they think yeah. that you've forgotten your roots and it's not that it's just we lead a different life you know we we're, we're living a different world um wow this has been powerful Mariam, we're going to come back to more happier times and norway uh podcasting singing your passions outside yeah. uh your 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 university and your work so syria turkey and now norway so how did that come about then so you know you you've already changed two countries what made you go to norway uh, well it wasn't actually my choice um <laughs> Um, it was a really interesting story because we didn't even know we were coming to Norway. I remember this one morning in Turkey, we were just kind of uh, having breakfast and just hanging out at home. And there was this uh, policeman who knocked on our door and he was like, can you guys show me your IDs? And we were like, oh, what's happening? You know, but then he was like, no, nothing. We're just doing some kind of uh, statistic work. And he left. And then we got a call like a few weeks later from the United Nations program for resettlement. And they were like, can we have an interview with you guys? Because like uh, we're kind of trying to work on your case. So uh, we then went to Ankara and had that interview. And they said that most likely we were going to the U.S., and uh, we're like, okay. <laughs> so, and then the process kind of consists of three interviews. Um, and in the second interview, you know where you're going. So after a few months, they called us back for the second interview and they mentioned Norway, like they were like, maybe, or some other European country, because they asked us if we have some relatives like around the world and we do have some relatives in Norway. So they're like, we're trying to get you there. Uh, and yeah, we were lucky enough then that uh, Norway chose our case and especially the city that I live in. We didn't choose anything, like not even the city. They chose us and like, I'm, I'm personally very happy about that. Wow. So it's like luck and destiny shaking hands and bringing you into Norway. I have to ask, you know, you, you're coming into a new country Presumably you didn't have anywhere to live or any arrangements. How did it all work out, Mariam? Well, it was actually a bit easier because we came through that uh, resettlement program because they uh, communicate with the municipality that we're going to and then they kind of provide a contact person for us. So when we landed in Tromsø, where I live, there was this person waiting for us. So they welcomed us to Tromsø and they showed us where we were going to live. Um, so they had all that sorted out and it was really, it was really nice of them actually, because like they did a lot, of, a lot of stuff for us, like saved a lot of time that we basically, like other people do it themselves. Do you feel lucky, Mariam? When I think about this part, yes, <laughs> definitely. Mm. No, I, I mean, I, what I mean, and pe- to the listeners, if you don't understand, it's just, so far what you've told me, uh, you've told me with a smile on your face, but it, it sounds harrowing, you know, I, even as someone who I grew up in a third world country, but to me, even to me, you, it just sounds harrowing and tiring and exhausting. Well, I mean, it is, it is exhausting, but uh, I think what kind of helped me go forward is that I was kind of really excited to do something. It's really difficult for a 15 years old or 16 years old to just actually sit there and be like, do nothing you know like I think that was like the most difficult period of my life so I really just wanted it over well it's not being dramatic is it I mean if you think about the fact where you've come from a revolution a civil war however you want to 
describe it to to then going into Turkey and not by your fault wasting a couple of years and then going into Norway you know presumably you knew a little bit of English but you had to learn Norwegian and you had to go back into school and pick your life up again yeah yeah and actually that was that was very difficult and exhausting because I wasn't used to any kind of routine in Turkey like I didn't have anything to do so I was just kind of totally free the whole day and now I had to learn to get up early to sleep kind of kind of a fixed time I had homework to do I had people to meet um in the beginning it it was definitely very exciting but it was also very new it was kind of like oh what do I do now you know yeah but what what motivated you what made you think well I actually am gonna I am gonna make something of myself even though uh, uh, some years of my life may have been wasted I think it's the will to, to do something I have always had many plans and many ambitions that I want to reach and I usually really liked to like to be an active person in society and actually like to be a, a a good citizen so I really just I kind of wanted to to be someone if that makes any sense to have like some some value in my life and kind of also I wanted really to give back something to the country that kind of welcomed me in and, and gave me a lot so all of that really and also um, I remember once I was at the Norwegian course it was actually my first week and there was this person uh, who uh, wanted to teach me a Norwegian word and right. he said it to me and I was like okay and the word it's not like it's not hi or how are you doing it was just like mm. a really random word mm. and he said it to me once and I was like okay and then he asked me 10 minutes after like do you remember what it means like no I don't and he was like hey Mariam you know we're here to learn not to waste our time and I was like okay I'm gonna show you <laughs> that's, <laughs> you <know? laughs> that's 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 exactly the kind of similar path I had you know yeah. it's that challenge it's like well it's your country and you speak the language but watch me learn your language exactly like I feel like you should have offered some support or at least right. like like why <laughs> yeah no absolutely look you talk about being the perfect citizen and and, and and giving something back you then went on to university um how well what was that like and have you graduated now uh no i'm still studying at uh, university uh because mm -hmm. i had to take high school first here and um then last year i did a there's this concept here in norway i'm not sure if it exists in other places but it's like a one-year course at the university like you actually graduate and everything it's totally a university system but it's not a complete bachelor's degree so I took one uh, study program which was about English literature and linguistics and now I'm studying psychology it's uh, still my first year I'm going to stop you there so if you think that guy who tested you on one word uh, and you couldn't remember it and then you've gone on to take English and literature. Do, do you think you've sort of remember moments like that and think, well, I put my, and excuse the language, but mid, middle finger up to him and, and, and to other people who've doubted me? Well, yes, sometimes. <laughs> uh, I usually try to do things for my own sake, but sometimes it's just like, it kind of pops up in my mind. I'm like, oh, because I know that he knows what I'm up to. Uh, Trumsa, where I live, it's not like the biggest city ever, especially 
in like the community that I chose to be a part of. We kind of know what we're up to, all of us. So I know he knows what I'm up to. And I, I'm just like, sometimes I think about it and, and, and I think like, yeah, you see, I got far. Okay, Mariam, tell me a little bit about your, I guess, passions, hobbies, activities in life, away from all the serious stuff that we talked about. Tell us some lighthearted stuff. I know you're a singer, so tell us about that and a podcaster. Yeah, but before I tell you about the singing and the podcast, I want to say that I got a new job at a really cool uh, place here in mm-hmm. Tunisia. It's uh, uh, it's like a tourist uh, planning. It's like a tourist activity planning uh, thing, but it's basically uh, especially towards, for example, people with disabilities or anyone who kind of needs some extra extra planning or extra time and I started working with them as a tourist guide and I think that's awesome it's like a totally new experience for me yeah oh my god (laughs) so you're you're studying and working how are you managing to fit all that in I don't know sometimes I feel very very overwhelmed because I have so many things that I do like not only this I'm also uh, a part of some uh, associations and stuff at uni as well so I feel like I really would have been very happy if the day was kind of longer like 30 hours or something that would have been nice but yeah well, most, yeah, of us, most of us most of us want the day to be shorter <laughs> we want it to be 30 hours next thing we'll be asking for is an eight day week um Wow, it's, I'm actually exhausted listening to you. And I mean that in the kindest way, Mariam. Um, so, so you're a tourist guide uh, for an organization uh, that, that I guess ad- advises and, and guides disabled people? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and is that a full-time job or are you doing it part-time? It's not full-time now because we're kind of, it's a new established. Uh, so uh, we kind of don't have that many customers yet but um, in addition to that as you mentioned I uh, have my own podcast me and uh, seven other friends <laughs> so it can uh, the episode can get really crowded really quickly so we try to kind of manage with that uh, so it's an Arabic podcast um, where we talk about different stuff about uh, you know our Arabic society or especially Syrian um, mm. So we kind of, yeah, try to discuss that and give different opinions on and perspectives on different matters. And um, yeah, it's kind of a place where we share our opinions and what people might be thinking as well. So I feel like it's kind of a place where everyone finds something they agree with. I really enjoy it. We're now in our fourth season. Fourth season. What's the name of the podcast? It's called in Arabic Al Shilla podcast, which Al Shilla, which basically means uh, I don't know what's the right English word for it. But it's like the group podcast, like you know when it's like a group of friends. I don't know what what that would be in English. Why don't you uh, pitch uh, your podcast to us in like thirty seconds or a minute in Arabic for our Arab listeners? This is <laughs> okay. نحن بودكاست الشله وفي كنت تسمعونا على كل منصات البودكاست الموجوده يعني مثلا ابل بودكاست جوجل بودكاست ساوند كلاود ونحن باشتراك مع منصه عين البلدي 
ففيكم طبعا تلاقونا من هنيك وبتمنى انه تسمعونا وتشاركونا اراءكم كمان على السوشيال ميديا وبكل الاماكن اللي ممكن تلاقونا فيها. اه شكرا حبيبتي. And what about your singing? You're a singer as well. I am. Well, singing is definitely my passion. I sing since as long as I remember. Um, like, I actually remember I used to come back from kindergarten and talk to my mom and tell her, like, I learned this song and kind of just start singing. So I really feel sorry for my family. They just really had to put up with my singing all the time. But yeah, I, I now have uh, my own YouTube channel where I post um, some covers. I have one original song that I collaborated on with a couple of friends. Uh, one of them, he wrote the song and the other helped with the instrumental and I sang. It was a really nice project. It was uh, actually dedicated to the 10 year anniversary for our Syrian revolution. And um, I'm also learning the guitar. So that's really exciting. I'm going to classes. This is like my fourth uh, time, I think. So now I know like six chords and I'm, I'm really happy. Every time, Mariam, I think about coming towards the end of the conversation, you drop another surprise into the conversation. <laughs> so, you're, so you're learning guitar. And, and no wonder you want the day to be 30 hours. Um, it's, it's fascinating. I, I guess the other thing I wanted to ask you about, and I, and I wanted to ask you in the beginning, but I wanted to sort of listeners to get drawn in. Tell me a little bit about your family, because don't you have a, a, a brother or a sister who's visually impaired? Um, I have a brother and a sister, and we are all visually impaired because uh, the condition that I have, it's kind of, it's uh, genetic. So it kind of, yeah, happens uh, with all of us. So what was that like? And, and I guess, what was it like for your family? Um, like, I know in the Asian culture, uh, and sad as it is, it, it's often seen as devastating if you've got a disabled child or a visually impaired mm. child what was it like growing up I guess what was your family's attitude and other people's attitude particularly in Syria well um I am the youngest child so uh, I haven't seen it all but I have been told that uh, when uh, my parents got my brother because he's the oldest um it was a bit of a shock for them uh, like you really wouldn't expect it like I think they were thinking like out of everyone around us and everyone in this world, why was it, why was it us, you know? So yeah, I think in the beginning they were really surprised and especially like in our cultures, it's a bit more uncommon and people wouldn't really know how to deal with the others around them. Like people just ask so many unsensitive questions and just be like really annoying. But I think actually my parents took it really well. Like uh, both me and my siblings are, I would say, uh, doing well. I would say for me, it's probably a bonus that my siblings were visually impaired like me because like it's probably a bit easier to relate and talk about stuff that maybe other people wouldn't really understand that like some things might be a bit silly for others, but for, for us, it would mean very much. Was it socially more fun because they were understanding, you were understanding, so you played similar games and had similar conversations? It was socially nice, but it was also a bit sad because we were kind of more excluded. Because like we're three, 
So people will think like, yeah, they'd hang out on their own and it's fine. And we were really never included in anything. It's really sad because like we were children and we wouldn't notice. But now when I think about it, I see that really many, many people like friends and cousins. I see that their their point of view was like, we'd rather not really kind of keep in touch that much or kind of hang out that much. You have a YouTube channel and you're you're a singer. What kind of a singer are you? And this is coming from someone who doesn't really have too much knowledge about music, i.e. I can't sing to save my life. I'm just a, you know, bathroom <laughs> singer. I think you're good. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. I have a concert outside my bathroom because I'm right. <laughs> amazing in the shower, but that's about it. <laughs> well, at least it's something. Um, well, I uh, do different kinds of music, and especially now that I speak three languages, I kind of sing Arabic, English, and Norwegian. Um, but lately, I've been like really into jazz, um, trying to kind of work more on that. Uh, it's it's really fun. But I'm also very interested in uh, folk music and traditional music. And also, you know, I think the most tricky question I get asked in my life is like, what kind of music do you like? Or what kind of singer are you? Because I like to try different stuff. Do you write your own songs? I do write songs, but I never publish them. And have you had a song published or shared? And I know you've sung with other bands, haven't you? Um, yeah, I have done some collaborations with other musicians it's really nice actually one of my collaborations and this one really means a lot to me because i did it with uh, one of my like best friends whom i have only met online we have never really met face to face but uh, she plays the guitar and i sing and we did this norwegian song together even though she doesn't have any relation to norway anything else this is like the tour of Mariam's life anything else that we should know about you Mariam? one thing I haven't really mentioned that much which I'm like really really interested in is activism in human rights and anti-racism and all that I'm uh, kind of active in that uh, in Norway and in Europe so that's something I'm really interested in and I'm really trying to uh, kind of connect with people who have these uh, same interests and who have been kind of working with this field to get some more experience. And and where does that stem from? Where does that come from? Is that come from living in, through a revolution? And and also, what have you done so far? Um, I think that's definitely one of the reasons. Yeah, but it's also because I lived in Turkey and I have kind of experienced like firsthand how it is it like to kind of be excluded or um, kind of feel a bit targeted. So when I came here and I felt like I had the chance, I was like, yeah, let's do it. So there is this NGO here in, in Norway, which in Norwegian is called Stop Hatbrat. Uh, in English, it's called No Hate Speech Movement. And they have like different branches in different countries. So uh, I basically started there and I'm still with them, but I'm also through them. I got to know some other NGOs in Europe and in Norway. So I've been like to different conferences. They held different workshops, uh, very active on social media when it comes to, for example, uh, cyberbullying and all that stuff. I do my best to kind of be there and be active and actually support that someone who's being targeted. And also I'm, I'm very active in the, the fields of uh, disability rights. Yet another strength, I guess, and a feather in your cap is, is traveling independently. Tell me a little bit about how you do that and, and where you've been so far and why. I have been to different countries. I'm not going to list them all, but some of them were just like to be a normal, typical tourist. And others were like for work or like uh, 
organizational stuff. So I have, for example, been to Iceland uh, to attend a conference about education for disabled people, uh, which was pretty interesting, actually. Like, I really loved Iceland and really loved the conference as well. It was really, uh, really educational. And I have also been to Slovakia for a conference about uh, human rights and uh, how to actually um, work effectively with uh, hate speech and racism. And as to your question about how I do that, how I travel independently, I think really, I would say the, the advice I would give is just to kind of try and plan in advance so that you have everything ready and you feel like confident about your planning. That's what I do. And I kind of always have like a plan B if plan A fails, because that's really important. Sometimes kind of just fails last minute. But yeah, as long as you kind of feel courageous and like you kind of don't mind doing this. I I have been lost a couple of times. It's, it was fine. Um, just, you know, the most important is to try and stay calm and focused. Mariam, are you proud of what you've achieved and do you think your family are proud of what they have achieved i'm very happy with what i have done so far um and i think that's very important like to actually be satisfied with what you're doing according to my plans and, and my uh, my ambitions i should have been able to do more by this time i believe my family is or like i hope <laughs> that they're proud of, of what i have been yeah. up to as well i think so um, I mean, you should never ask a young lady her age, but you, you just said you feel like you should have done more. How old are you? Um, 21. Okay. I think it might be time to end the show. I mean, that, that really is extraordinary. I mean, I'm not one to judge, but anybody listening out there will tell you now. And wherever you are listening to this and whatever you're doing, just put down your glass and stop driving and just, wow, pinch yourself. She just said, well, I feel like I could have done more. And she's already taken on three countries, a university, a bloke who said that she should learn Norwegian a bit faster and now speaks three languages, is working, uh, studying and taking on the world with us singing. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, look, it's been unbelievable. I promise you, it's been incredible. And thank you for your time. I'm going to give this moment to you. One message for the listeners one message for those who are struggling to motivate them because i do find you motivating well before i uh, say what i want to say to the listeners i just really want to thank you so much hassan for the uh, for this interview it's been really nice um to have this talk with you and uh, i would say you're you have this like really nice uh, you have this like really um, a way to make people feel comfortable. I, <laughs> I from experience, I would say I'm not the best talker usually, even though I have my own podcast. But it's been a pleasure. And to to everyone who's listening, I would say really what I just said before: uh, just believe in yourself and take it one one day at a time. Because uh, I would say the only one you're competing with is yourself really you don't have to compare yourself to to anyone and you don't really have to uh, feel like you're not enough or like you're not doing enough I think uh, the most important thing is to have a goal and a plan and if you don't have a goal or a plan is really uh, the small things that count as well you know sometimes it's just great to get up and do something I don't know about you but that was like pinch yourself moment and you think okay mate what are you doing with your life right now what am i doing 
You know, is it enough? You know, are we satisfied? And if we're not satisfied, why on bloody hell are we not satisfied? You know, we've got everything. You know, there are people in Pakistan, the third of the country is underwater. There are people holding on to barks of trees until their hands or the barks break and they fall into the water and therefore die. That's the reality of of the world right now. There there are people in this country, in England, can't afford to pay for their bills, can't afford to put three meals on the table. That's the way the world is heading towards. And it's such a sad ending, but I guess what I'm saying is be thankful for people like Mariam, be thankful for what you have. Look, until next time, this has been Hassan, and you've of course been listening to Carnage Podcast. Keep it tuned and um, see ya. I'll be back. Sounds about right.